On this episode, I'm in the room with Douglas Wilson discussing the ins and outs of reading well. Welcome to In the Room, episode number 45. I'm Ryan Hughley, and if you're listening for the first time, I'm the founding and lead pastor of Redemption Bible Church just outside Chicago. I'd love to stay connected online, so visit my blog at ryanhughley.com, that's H-U-G-U-L-E-Y, to find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. In the Room is your opportunity to eavesdrop on my conversations with interesting people. So every week I sit down with people of varied backgrounds, perspectives, and vocations. I talk with pastors, professors, authors, and artists about their stories, their crafts, and how they do what they do. This week, I'm in the room with Douglas Wilson, pastor and author of a new book called Writers to Read, Nine Names That Belong on Your Bookshelf. In my conversation with Doug, we discuss the ins and outs of reading well, how he orders his week for maximum productivity, and why he so often finds himself at the center of controversy. Doug and I start our conversation talking about what home life was like growing up. My dad was in the Navy uh, uh, during the Korean War, where they met, and uh, my dad got out of the Navy a few years later to go into Christian work, so I uh, grew up in a, a Christian home and a ministry home, and my parents were faithful evangelical Christians, so I had a very wonderful upbringing. Um, I, uh, my hometown was Annapolis, Maryland. That's where I spent most of the time growing up. I uh, grew up in a Southern Baptist church there, professed uh, faith, was baptized when I was 10 in a Christmas Eve service. And um, uh, joined the Navy when I was 17, found out that I needed to stand on my own Christian feet, you know, there. The Navy was not a bastion of righteousness. <laughs> and um, so I, I worked through that, got out of the service, came to Moscow to attend college, uh, got my bachelor's and master's in philosophy here. And while I was going to college, um, I was the song leader for a small Jesus people type church. And um, and about a year and a half into that church's life, the pastor announced one Sunday he was moving and got a job with another uh, in another town, and he was going to be gone the next Sunday, and good luck, everybody. Uh, nice transition strategy. Uh, yes. I, w- I was the one up front with the guitar. So and you did not uh, that's know about I, this. No, I didn't. No. I didn't know about it. And uh, so i that, that's how I, I preached the following Sunday, and that's how I became a pastor, basically. Uh, and uh, be, when I was done with my master's degree, I had to – I couldn't get away to go to seminary, uh, so I realized I had to do on-the-job training. So I this was 1979 when I graduated, and so I gave myself over to – a process of intensive reading in different topics. So it was um, pastoral ministry on the job with theological training through books. Uh, I had a good Christian upbringing. I, I knew a lot about practical Christian living from my folks, but I and I'd gotten my Greek at the University of Idaho in classical studies. That was uh, in my uh, in my bachelor's where I I'd, I'd gotten a I'd gotten a philosophy degree, but my language was Greek. So I'd gotten bits and pieces, but my uh, bib- the biblical studies and eschatology and um, all the different uh, topics that you would address in seminary, I needed I-, I needed to read heavily. So I did that, and that resulted in a number of paradigm shifts, 
where I became uh, uh, more Presbyterian than Baptistic. I became uh, post-millennial instead of what I'd been before, which was kind of a eschatological hodgepodge. Uh, so I, I did a lot of shifting through the 80s and finally settled roughly where I am now in the early 90s as someone who holds to the Westminster Confession of Faith. So did that Jesus movement thing, is that what became Christ Church, where you're the senior minister now? That same church, yeah. We just, uh, a couple Sundays ago, we just uh, celebrated our 40th anniversary as a church. It's amazing that we're still here. Man, it's amazing what God has done at Christ Church over the last 40 years. And uh, I want to transition and change topics a little bit. Um, You've just written a great new book that we want to talk about called Writers to Read, Nine Names That Belong on Your Bookshelf. And I'm always really curious what it is that motivates someone uh, to write a book and kind of the story behind it. So tell me a little bit about uh, what what led to you writing Writers to Read. Um, it was, this one was actually somebody else's idea. Um, I, I was asked, and I'm not sure how this happened, but I was asked by the folks at Desiring God to, to do a blog post on P.G. Woodhouse. So P.G. Woodhouse is a British, um, British slash American humorist, light fiction writer. Um, he's a brilliant, brilliant with metaphors, uh, and I've read a lot of Woodhouse. I was asked by Desiring God to write a blog post on uh, on Woodhouse, and so which I'd be ha- I was happy to do. Why should Christian Why should Christians read Woodhouse? It's just is these are books for the beach or the lake. And so um, I wrote that blog post, and Justin Taylor at Crossway thought, "Hey, that this has got possibilities." A writer talking about other writers, and uh, initially. The I my so Justin asked about it and I thought I thought about it some and I pitched so I pitched a book at their invitation. My initial uh, pitch in had the had the title as initial authors because I had noticed some years ago that all my favorite authors had their the names on the books began with initials C S Lewis T S. Um, J.R.R. Tolkien, right, G.K. Right. Chesterton, H.L. Mencken, P.G. Woodhouse. So I was, I, so I pitched a book called Initial Authors. Um, they thought uh, the folks at Crossway thought that that was probably a little too cute by half. Um, but the idea for the book was born, was born, and uh, and so they accepted it, uh, retitled it Writers to Read, and so I worked through nine different writers that I appreciate very much as writers. That's uh, so it's each chapter gives a brief biography of the of the writer. It go, then drills down, digs deeper into their writing, doing some analysis and then concludes the chapter with if you read nothing else. So if 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 you're new to this if this author is new to you and you want to pick up a book, where should you start? And so I I I give a few recommendations. Right. And that part was super helpful because there was a couple of these authors that I was not familiar with. And it's overwhelming when you're trying to get to know a new author. And so to have someone lay it out was just very, very helpful. I was curious uh, for just you personally, how you determine what it is that you read. Cause you know, I'm looking at your bookcase behind you and it's filled with books. Right. And uh, I know that you have a number of responsibilities on your plate. And so there's so many books you could read. How is it that you personally go about deciding uh, what it is that you're going to read? What makes a book worth reading? Um, 
I, I think it would be divided into two basic categories. The, uh, the book that interests me right now, just, you know, the book that I would pick up because I want to read it. Um, and it's just, it's, it's of interest to me, or there's, it's going to meet a need that I have or fill in a, fill in a hole. And I, and I just have a, a desire to read it. So there are books I want to read. And then there are the books that I think I ought to read. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's not always um, the same thing. Not always the same thing. So, uh, and I'm also a great believer in plotting, you know, um, just chipping away. So one of the things I, I do is I try to, uh, I have a short list of four books that I'm currently reading. So I, I try to chip away every day at these four books. And then I'll read beyond that uh, also as things come up. But I want to do at least these four. And the four books that I read are uh, the book I'm reading, you know, whatever, that's the book that interests me, okay? the book I'm reading. Then I always want to be reading a work of poetry, all right, some, a volume of poems. Um, and that can w range wildly. So, for example, the one before the one I'm doing now is, uh, was the collected works of Alexander Pope, 1700s um, classical style. And, uh, and the one I'm reading now is the collected works of Ogden Nash. Uh, you know, so uh, so I, I always want to be reading poetry because I think I ought to be, I ought to be reading poetry. So what is it? I'm sorry to interrupt you for a second, but what is it about poetry? Cause mm -hmm. I don't read very much poetry, but what is it about it that you think makes it so valuable for writers to read? Well, uh, particularly f uh, for someone who writes, um, I would, I would commend it because poetry is sort of everything that's good about language condensed, compacted. All right, so it's it's hand packed. Every word. Um, so someone might write a uh, a novel, and you don't think they they sweat buckets over every word, but but a poet might. Yes, absolutely. Right. Uh, so you've got uh, something where it's a a lot more intentional, a lot more thoughtful. And if it's a good poet, uh, it's com it's intentional, thoughtful, compact, and you get a lot more punch. Uh, uh, from poetry, and you learn a lot about language from that. So, and I and I and I try to have it. I mean, I've read um, uh, I've, doing this. I've read Yeats, and then I read Pope, and now Ogden Nash, and you know. So I want to read across the waterfront for uh, for poets. Um, then I always, if I just gave myself over to reading books I wanted to read, I would probably gravitate to nonfiction, to, you know, theology, history, cultural studies and stuff. So I think I need the discipline of always reading fiction, you know, either reading or rereading uh, uh, a novel. And so I I'm, I'm, uh, do that all the time. Um, and right now I'm rereading The Lord of the Rings, so I'm finishing up. So that's, but sometimes I'll be reading a, um, a book that I've never read before, a novel I've never read before, but I always want to be doing that because if, if I'm given my head, um, they let go of the reins, I, I probably would veer off of that. And then the fourth book, the, the fourth kind of book is what I call a bucket book, which is, I'm 62, 
Uh, and these are books that I really ought to have read by this point in my life, but I haven't for some mysterious, you know. Okay, I have a lot of those. Yeah, yeah. and I, I'm afraid that I'm afraid that it's going to come up at the Great White Throne Judgment. You know, yeah. <laughs> you were an educator, you were a teacher, and you never read Moby Dick. You know, right? That sort of thing. And and so th- there are books that, for whatever circumstance, I never I missed, or I, I missed it in my education, or I never got to. Um, and so you know, I read Moby Dick that way, and I'm I'm currently halfway through Don Quixote that way. It, it's not a book I would pick up, but I really uh, I really ought to have read it. Um, so those are the four books. The book I'm the book that interests me, uh, a volume of poetry, a, a book, a work of fiction, and then a bucket book. That's the center of my reading. Yeah, that's super helpful. Can you tell me a little bit about where reading lives for you? Because my guess is you're busier than most. Uh, I hear from people all the time, like, where do you find time to read? How do you make time for that? And so tell me a little bit about just for you personally, where reading lives. Yeah. Um, What I usually do, I usually read um, those books after dinner sometime. Uh, So are you not a big TV guy? uh, Not a big TV guy, no. Um, uh, My wife and I watch an occasional movie, maybe five a year. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) All right. That's the, that's an occasional movie. And, and I watch, uh, I, I tape, um, an, uh, a news show and which enables me to scream through it, pick up the stories I want, skip the commercials. So that's, that's pretty efficient. So, um, I, I live in a family of readers. Um, my wife likes to read instantly. Um, we'll just be in my study after dinner and read, reading together. Right. Uh, so, uh, I'll, I'll chip away at my books and pursue those. So usually, um, uh, my reading takes place in uh, the evening, sometimes shortly after dinner. And the, uh, the books I, I laid out, there are about four of them, uh, th- those four books, that's about a half hour of reading. Okay, so you're going slow through those. I'm going slow. Like, so, for example, on the poetry, I re- just read a couple of pages. Um, on, the, on all the others... I either read five pages or 10 pages. So the book I'm reading, I read 10 pages a day. And, but see, the, um, if it's a 300-page book, that's a month. So, so, um, and I try, I try to maintain a pace of least finishing a book a week. Okay. So that's, that's what I'm doing. All right. I like that. Uh, this is going to sound like a little bit of a nerdy question to some people, but do you have a, a system uh, for how you mark up your books or do you not mark them up? Is that like sacrilege, no, sacrilege to you? But how do you go about that? Yeah, I do. I do mark my books. Um, uh, one of my grandchildren, I've got a, a past grandchildren. I, I use blue highlighters. Okay. Exclusively exclusively except you know back in the 70s i think there were some green ones but <laughs> but it's it's been it's been blue uh blue highlighters for decades right so okay. i've got a stash of blue highlighters but my system is i mark things that interest me um uh so i i, I mark them and then either squiggle on the margin if it's doubly interesting sometimes an exclamation mark in the margin, if I really agree or really disagree. Okay, but it's either or. 
It's either or. And what what the marking does is it enables me to find things again because I okay, the, I want to look up that quote. That was an exclamation marker. That was lower right hand side, and I can just flip through a book and and find it that that way. Um, one of my grandchildren commented on the my reading glasses and and said, uh, "That's those are the." Gl- glasses that papa uses when he's coloring (laughs) (laughs) oh that's funny hey i did want to ask you what do you think is better do you think it's better to find a few authors like the ones that you recommend in the new book and really go deep with them so you just read everything that they've written or is it better to read widely yes i would um i would say both i would say read broad read broadly for the most part and dig deep when you find a writer that really um, uh, works for you. If you, if you really want to, um, so for example, I'm, um, I'm probably going to, by the time I die, I'll probably have read everything by two authors, you know, um, and they'd be PG Woodhouse and CS Lewis probably. Um, and so Lewis is the sort of person that I read and I reread and there are a handful of books of his that I haven't read that I want to get to, you know, that I want to get to at some point. Um, and so uh, I would say for, for the most part, if you're going to be a generalist, if for, for pastors and writers, they have to read broadly. Okay. Okay. Um, and you just don't have time to dig deep with everybody. Right. So um, I would only read everything written by authors that really are rewarding, that okay. really pay you back. So what would you say to someone um, who is a pastor or maybe even not a pastor, but just someone who struggles with reading and they would say, you know, I don't really enjoy reading or reading is difficult for me. Right. What would you say to them to help them maybe grow in their desire and ability to read? Okay, what one of the things would be, um, finding out if the issue is interest or competence. Oh, that's good. Okay. Okay. So for example, if I say, uh, if someone says, oh, I'm not a reader and I, I say, do you listen to books in the car? And he says, oh, all the time, uh, you know, I'd say, okay, content is not the issue for this person. What is quite possibly the issue for him is he was never taught to read you know he can he can follow the arguments he can follow the words he's interested in the subject he loves the story but um uh, one of the things that many people do is they when they come to sit down and read that there are a number of bad habits that that people have gotten into us just uh, just assuming for example that the person knows how to read you know sometimes uh people are either illiterate or functionally illiterate you know because they just were given a poor education, but they can, they could listen to it on, they could listen to a novel on audio. Fine, fine, but they can't, they can't read it or they read it agonizingly slowly. Um, and so if, if they're, if the topic is, um, interesting to them and they like this, they like the stuff, uh, I would say, well, let's, uh, let's give you some reading lessons. You know, do you, do you sub vocalize? Um, do your lips move when you read or do you feel your vocal cords uh, moving when you read? Because that's going to slow you way down. Right. Uh, do you regress when you read? Some people they'll read ahead, you know, it's five steps forward, three steps back, seven steps forward, two steps back, 
you know, that, that sort of thing. That slows you way down. And if you're listening to a book on audio, that just doesn't happen. The narrator just keeps on going. But if you're, if you're reading, um, if you, if you've gotten in the grip of bad habits like that, you, you might just be frustrated and, and all you need to be, to do is get some tips on how to break the on how to break those habits. Yeah, that's good. That's helpful. Sorry to interrupt the conversation, but I wanted to tell you about a new project I'm excited about and I think you will be too. My good friend and worship pastor at Redemption Bible Church has just recorded and released his first five-song EP called Lift You Higher. You probably don't know, but Scott does all the editing and engineering for In the Room, so if you've enjoyed the podcast as much as I have, we are both indebted to Scott. Lift You Higher is made up of five songs that we love and we believe will increase your affection for Jesus and give you fresh words to worship Him. Lift You Higher is available everywhere digital music is sold, so take a few minutes and check it out on iTunes or Spotify. If it blesses you, we'd be honored if you shared it with a friend or help us spread the word on social media. So when you're done listening to this episode of In the Room, jump on over to iTunes or Spotify and check out Lift You Higher from my friend Scott Holdhouse. I want to shift gears a little bit. I could talk to you about this stuff all day, but I think it would be uh, a missed opportunity to not spend a little bit of time talking to you about controversy, conflict, and criticism. Um, You're no stranger to controversy. I don't know if you've noticed that or been on Twitter anytime recently, Uh, but what is it about you? Um, Why do you think that you're so frequently um, at the center of so much controversy, especially online? Okay, I would say there there are two two aspects to this, and I, I won't try to uh, apportion it. Uh, you know, I, let's just say half and half, but it might be a little bit more either way. Sometimes, sometimes a controversy will blow up on me, <clears throat> and nobody is more surprised than I am. Yeah, like where did <laughs> like, where did what? that come from? Well, all I all I said was, you know. Um, so that does that does happen uh, sometimes. Uh, there are controversies. Those are controversies that either ambush me or pursue me or or you know they they dog me. Some I'm not picking a fight. Somebody's picking a fight with me. Right. Okay. Um, the other half would be the times when I'm picking a fight. Okay. Okay. Uh, if someone said, are there times when you go looking for it? Right. Right. And the answer is yes, absolutely. Um, and, and you can generally tell the, uh, the, the topics. So if someone says, um, if I'm in in the middle of a controversy that says Wilson is a, a, a creep and a dictator pastor and a vile man, and he did X, Y, and Z to my friend, Joe, Years. That's not a fight that I went and picked. Okay, um, that's something where I'm going to stand my ground. I'm going to say no. That's not what happened. No, but those are things that you're just going along, and one day it blo- one day it blows up. Okay. Um, then uh, the other kind would be the kind of controversies I find myself in because of the Planned Parenthood video- videos. 
or the Obergefell decision on homosexuality or um, the encroachments of feminism or something happens in the church. Right. And you lean I, into that. I lean into that. I believe it's my job as a pastor to guard the flock. And that means fighting the wolves. Right. To, to make peace with wolves right. is to hate sheep. To love sheep is to fight wolves. That's good. There's just, there, there's no other, there's no way to split the difference. Um, so when it has to do with the faith once delivered, basic Christian orthodoxy, if it has to do with um, um, public decency, if it has to do with um, things like same-sex mirage, things like abortion on demand, things like the degradation of of um, our culture and our civilization, I am I am looking to be aggressively in the forefront. If um, and and because I've done that, um, people don't say, "Oh, here comes some let's here comes someone representing the Word of God. Let's attack him for his saintliness." <laughs> that's that's they're not stupid. They they're not gonna they're not gonna counterattack me for my saintliness. Oh, he's like Jesus. Let's go after him. Um, they're gonna say, "Well, no, he's nothing at all like Jesus. He's a creeper. He's he does these things." And that's where the other controversies come from. Right. Well, here's one thing I did. I wondered about this just on a personal level. When you're in the midst of these situations or seasons where you're experiencing a lot of pushback and you're in the middle of controversy, are you just like indifferent to that? Um, do you feel that? I mean, most pastors that I know struggle with some amount of fear of man or most, most people don't want to not be liked. Um, and so when you're in the midst of this, do you feel that at all? Or are you just the, does it not even register for you? Yeah. Um, that, that divides that, that breaks out too. If, um, if I am, uh, if someone is saying, uh, negative things about me and I think they have a point right? where, you know, I think that, yeah, I screwed up or I, sh- I shouldn't have put it that way or, you know, that sort of thing. Yes. I feel bad about that. And I try to correct you know, try to own it, cop it, and uh, correct those. So I, I would feel bad about it if if I gave an opportunity either for my friends to be discouraged or my enemies to gloat because I screwed up. Yeah, that, that would affect me. Um, it would also affect me when I see people uh, turning on me and I know that they're not they're not being orcs. They're just being unsettled. Right. So it affects it affects me when I think people are becoming my enemies who ought to be my friends or, you know, um, they're they're not so much the ones I'm fighting with, but the ones I'm fighting over, the the ones I'm fighting for. So if someone starts to head over to the dark side and I think they're a good guy, you know, that uh, and they say things while they're doing it, that can. Yeah, that hurts. um, that affects that affects me, um, but when people just make up things whole cloth and they and they just lie, um, uh, that honestly doesn't affect me at all. Um, because Jesus said, and he said very explicitly, when people slander you and despitefully use you and say all manner of wicked things against you, uh, Jesus says, when that happens, you are to rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Jesus says, go around the corner and, and do a little jig. You're, you're, you're supposed to be happy about that. So it, it delights me. Uh, it delights me that I am, have the honor of being dishonored, 
the grace of being disgraced by, by people like that. At the same time, Paul says in Colossians that he, he says with tears that many are enemies of the cross of Christ and um, you ought not to be uh, calloused to the world. Right. If you're, if you're callous to the world, you're not going to be an effective combatant for, for the Lord at all. Yes, that's good. That's helpful. Well, so much of this I know takes place on social media, and I wanted to ask you about that because I know that you're very involved on social media, and there's so many ways in which it's a gift and a blessing to us, but so many ways that it can go wrong as well. And so I was wondering for you personally, do you have any personal filters that you put your social media interaction through? Um, what I do is I, I, I use Hootsuite, and there's a, there's a Twitter feed of mentions. And so if, um, if there's a brawl going on right. and, and there's a, a, a stream of people calling me names, yes. I, would, I would respond to maybe one out of ten. Okay. Okay. Um, because there are – a lot of times if, if you um, – if you someone's calling you, uh, you know, a buffoon, calling you all sorts of things, yeah, and that's on the and nice end. That's on the nice end. But if but if I click on if, click on the profile, um, and it comes up that they've got three followers. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and I re- if I respond to them, I'm going to make their day. You know, what's the? Right. Um, they're going to think they fell into a chocolate pie, right? So um, I I don't want to be thin skinned. I don't want to have to. I don't want his comment to sting me. It's basically, this is no different than any other era of, of um, history. Open-air preachers had to deal with hecklers, right? George Whitfield had to deal with hecklers, and I'm having to deal with cyber hecklers, right? So if you're preaching uh, open-air and you've got people heckling you, one of the things you have to be able to do is think on your feet and know um, know who to respond to, right? Right. Does it and does it, it feed it or does it shut it down? Yes. Does it feed it? Does it shut it down? Or is this a stepladder that I can use to um, to make my point? One time, many years ago, I was doing open air preaching at Washington State University, and I got over there and and open air preaching is not like preaching in church. At church, people came to hear you. Right. Not so much in public. Nobody came to hear you. And and so I got there and and it's always like going off a high dive. Right. And so I uh, got there and it was overcast and drizzling a little bit. And I thought, ah, you know, I'm not sure I should do this. And then I said, no, I I think I will. So I, I got up and started preaching. And then a guy selling communist newspapers, a Maoist, jumped up and started trying to shout me down. And, and it was the best thing that ever happened because immediately at a crowd of 200 people, um, he would heckle me. I would answer his comment and then preach the gospel. And then he would heckle some more. And so I was able to use that to, to my advantage. So if someone, if, if, if someone with a significant following or a legitimate point, or they're making a point that is illegitimate, but has some traction, right? I'll answer it and I'll, and, and I'll answer it because their platform is my platform. Right. That's good. If, if I can answer it and I can come back then. Uh, so that's one thing I, I want to be judicious tactically about how I do this. And so I'd say roughly one in 10 and are, is the person significant? Is it a fair point or is it a point that has traction? The other thing is 
uh, you want to be, I want to be, I need to be careful about being too cute by half or, you know, um, so unnecessarily inflammatory, inflammatory, or just cracking yourself up for, <laughs> right. You know, so um, I have a friend that used to say humor is always a risk. Yes. So it's just, just the other day, um, something happened and, um, I typed a response. I had a response typed up. I thought it was pretty funny. And I, and I said, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> yeah. No, that's, that's sanctification that's, at work. Yes. Don't be, don't take every shot that you can. Um, you really want to be willing to tell yourself no. Yeah, that's wise. You know, you don't strike me as someone who uh, writes off the criticism of others without taking time to think about it and consider it. And so what is the process by which uh, you go about trying to figure out whether or not there's something for you to um, acknowledge and maybe repent of and change, right. or if this is something that you just need to uh, ignore? Well, one one of the things would be: is this the person? Is this the only person saying it? If if fifteen if fifteen other people are saying the same thing, then at the very least, even if his point's wrong, I may have been unclear. Right? There's a perception thing. There's a perception there that uh, that I want to address if I can. Um, the other is even if nobody else is saying it, if I think it has prima facie plausibility. One of the ways I might think it, one of the ways I might think it has prima facie plausibility, is if when I was writing the original piece, let's say, I wonder if people are going to think this, right? And I and I try to adjust, you know, I try to anticipate it or whatever, and then someone thinks exactly that, then I think, okay, that's that probably should be engaged with that kind. It's that kind of thing. Yeah, no, that's helpful. Um, all right. Well, to finish up, I have uh, a handful of questions that I wanted to ask you, just sort of uh, rapid fire. And uh, one thing that anyone that knows anything about you will know is that you wear a lot of hats and that you're always juggling a number of balls. If you just look at your Wikipedia page, you have like nine jobs that you're constantly doing. And so I wanted to ask you, what what does the ideal week look like for you? My main job, I'm a, I'm, my main occupation is that a pastor. That's the that's the central thing. Wednesdays are my sermon day. They're blocked out from most appointments. Um, so I just have a free day to compose the sermon outline. Uh, that's what I do. Um, I teach classes at, uh, at New St. Andrews College, and that's woven, woven through my day job. So if I said um, my pastoring slash teaching, uh, pastoring teaching is during the day eight to five. And um, my blogging is usually in the morning. Okay, I, I get up, shower, and write a blog post, then go to work between eight and nine, somewhere in there, come home around five. And then, like I said, my reading and that sort of thing is in the in the evenings. So um, the other things that I, the other things that I do, um, that'd be, Writing, pastoring, teaching. Another thing I try to do is stack them. So if I can use, um, so for example, on the writers to read, um, there were some of the, some of the chapters were originally lecture outline notes for an NSA class, right? So um, if I do, if I do work in one area, 
I ask myself, is there a way I can repurpose this? Is there a way I can um, uh, redirect this? So it, there's an optical illusion. I'm not as busy as it looks. Okay. All right. Well, um, outside the Bible, what book uh, has made the greatest impact on you personally? Huh. Tough question, I know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what book outside the Bible? Uh, if I could, if, if I could uh, appeal to a collection of books, I would say Narnia books. C.S. Lewis, the, the Narnia books would be, um, uh, he's the one who uh, awakened my imagination, who caused me to see it as integrated together with my theology. Um, so I would say uh, Narnia by far. Do you have a favorite Narnia book? I do, yeah. Um, Which one is it? It's The Horse and His Boy. I, I love them all. Um, and then if I could say this other, uh, another book I love, it's in my top 10 books of all time, would be Michael Ward's uh, Planet Narnia. Uh, because it, I've, I felt, on reading that, I felt like I'd been living in this house my whole life and then discovered there's a staircase that goes up to the second story that, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. it's, the same, it's the same house, but boy, is it fuller, richer, deeper. Um, and Michael Ward, who wrote that book, was just here in Moscow speaking for us last last week. Um, it, it was a great. That's a great, great book. So I would say, uh, I would say Narnia and the way it has set a model for me for the, theological, cultural, and literary integration. Oh, and and horse horse and his boy. I I I've I wandered off the point. Horse and his boy. I I love them all, but horse and his boy. There is probably my favorite book because it has my favorite scene in it. And that is when Shasta runs back to con confront the lion. So that's right. Oh, that's good. All right. Last question. What part of your job do you find most difficult? Uh, yeah. The, the most difficult part of my job is uh, pastoral counseling in tough cases. So um, you will sometimes come up against intractable problems. You know, people have been living with each other for the wrong way for 20 years. It gets to a crisis point. It all starts to melt down and then they come, then they come in. And, uh, that, that is the most challenging, the most difficult, um, part of what I do. Absolutely. I think a lot of pastors would probably agree with that. Well, Doug, I just want to say thanks so much uh, for coming on In the Room. We're going to put links to uh, in the show notes to all the books that we talked about, including your new book, um, Writers to Read. Great. Thank uh, you. So thank you again. This has been super helpful. I've learned a lot and really appreciate you coming on. You're very welcome. Happy to do it. My thanks to Doug for taking the time to chat. And as always, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen in. As always, I really hope that you found it helpful. Now, don't forget, you can stop by my blog at ryanhugley.com for all the ways that you and I can stay connected via Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you'll also find any additional show notes that you may want from today's episode. So until next week, I count it an honor to learn with you. I love you, and thanks for listening.